So, retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History? Well, Monday is the anniversary of the day Roger first publishes famous thesaurus. Then on Tuesday, we say happy birthday, Mr. Potato Head. On Wednesday, the extraordinary stories of the child soldiers who fought in the American Civil War. On Thursday, how King James changed the word of God. And on Friday, what did spam emails look like in 1978? We discuss this and more on Today in History with the retrospectors. Ten minutes every weekday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Welcome to, for F1's sake, the unreliable tyre of Formula One podcasts. I don't like that one. Topical. Well, it's contentious whether the tyres are unreliable, isn't it? Welcome to, for F1's sake, the podcast that puts the right tyres on. It's all about tyres, isn't it? Welcome to, for F1's sake, the podcast that spends too much time writing intros and not enough time on the actual content. Hello, I'm Chica Ayres, and with me is motoring journalist Phil Tromans, a man who had his own typical Renault experience in Belgium this weekend. Were you at Spa, Phil? I wasn't, no, but I did, uh, I did have a, a, a Renault engine failure in Belgium. Uh, I was on holiday in Germany, and on Sunday I actually missed the race because I was driving back all the way from Berlin to Sussex. And somewhere in Belgium, my engine decided to go absolutely mental, and I've literally, in the past half an hour, found out that I needed a brand new engine for my car. So, typical uh, Renault engine reliability in Belgium, which I think mirrors very nicely with Formula One generally at the moment. And beside him, a man who models his appearance on former Hesketh driver, Harold Ertel. Google him, it's worth it. That is an impressive beard. It's Terry Saunders. Hi, everyone. I've decided after many years to finally try to learn to drive. Oh! <laughs> since we did the last podcast, I've had two driving lessons. Oh, snap. Did that inspire you? Yeah, I was totally inspired. The first one went so well that the guy said I jumped from lesson one to lesson three in the space <laughs> of an hour. But then it went a little bit wrong on the next lesson. Okay. And basically, I was going in from a minor road to a major road on a crossroads. Got good clutch control, apparently. You know, better than Nico Rosberg. Uh, A white van man was coming the other way. I panicked a little bit. Uh, I drove over the curb to a point where the instructor, who's very anal, got out of the car, started swearing a lot. Oh, then he said, we're going to have to stop the lesson there because the tyre's damaged and I'm going to have to 
go and get the tyre replaced. And that was in the last five minutes of the lesson. So I feel now I know what Vettel feels like. This is amazing. <laughs> this is literally what's been happening at Spa because they had the big curve yep. on the exit of Eau Rouge yep. and then they got rid of the curve because people were driving over it. And then and then there was a the tyre explosion. Exactly. This is amazing. You're like an F1 I driver am now. I livid at Pirelli. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You went on a circuit, though, so you could have killed pedestrians, which Rosberg couldn't have done. Oh, yeah, I forgot. I also killed a man. <laughs> <laughs> were, they, were they actually Pirelli tyres, or were they sort of Nankangs or something? I have no idea. Oh. Chica, have you uh, Well, what mine, have you is, done? mine is less car-related. I had this weekend, I went to my cousin's hen party, Ooh. where we spent a lot of the time deciding how we're going to get Granny up the stairs at the wedding. She's a bit doddery. So trying to work out whether we could use the blanket that goes around the bride to sort of catapult her up it. Can we make like a Red Bull style soapbox car oh, for you, Granny? Well, that'd be getting her back down again. The bells ring, everybody's happy, Granny comes hurtling out the church, <laughs> dressed as Mario. <laughs> so we're recording this on Monday night, the Monday after the race. We're here in North London in a pub called The Fellow, and we're here to talk about the Belgian Grand Prix. And uh, nothing particularly exciting happened until lap 42. Yes, that was the lap when I went to make a cup of tea. <laughs> what a cup of tea it was. Oh, I am furious with Pirelli. <laughs> tea everywhere. It was looking like a great cup of tea until oh. the handle fell off as he went back to the front room. So everyone's been talking about the tyres. Uh, there's been a lot of uh, accusations thrown around. Um, I, I don't think I've ever seen anyone as angry as Vettel. Anyone ever. Really? I know. He, he was very angry. I mean, you know when he came into Formula 1 and he's like, oh, he's really charming, he likes Little Britain. It's like you always think there's a nasty side to him. There's a side that the, the, the mechanics are scared of. And we saw that side talking about the fucking Pirelli. It's unacceptable. I mean, they did try and run a tyre for like the whole weekend on a single tyre. From what I understand, it's sort of slightly stopped short of blame being thrown at... Well, actually, no, it hasn't from Vettel's side. He's said it was absolutely unacceptable and he's very annoyed with, um, with Pirelli. But Paul Hembry sort of stopped short of saying, you're talking a big load of shit, Sebastian. But he did sort of infer that they said to Ferrari... Maybe you shouldn't run them for quite as long. And he did. And it blew up. And that's what happens. But they've also said, coming back on that, saying that um, the tyres should drop off in performance before they get destroyed. So there should have been some lap time delta that slowed down to say these tyres are about to wobble. And they didn't. His, his lap time on the lap before was fine. No, but he slipped on lap 40. He had a little skid. And they said... But he denied that. Did and he? we have no way of having evidence to see if he did it or not. If only they had cameras if around If there was some way of replaying oh. where he went. <laughs> I don't know. It, I mean, it was certainly spectacular, and it made for a, an interesting feature. But, but Vettel did make the uh, actually quite reasonable point that if it had happened midway through Eau Rouge instead of coming out of Radion onto the straight, uh, he probably would have been eviscerated. Also, Rosberg had tyre problems in qualifying, didn't yep. he? But now they've looked into that and they realise that there was something actually jabbing into the tyre. Well, that's what they said. Well, and this is where everyone's pissed off with Peretti because in the Silverstone race last year where all the tyres went, or the year before, all the drivers are pissed off because basically whenever a tyre blows up, Peretti goes, it's your fault. You you've ran been over it wrong. You've been driving it wrong. You've been doing the wrong camber. You've had it on the wrong side of the car. And so they've said with Rosberg, you definitely cut your tyre running over something. And he was like, I didn't. And they were like, oh, you did though, didn't you? <laughs> So maybe there's something wrong oh, with your tyre. I, I didn't. But I didn't do nothing. Maybe there's something wrong with your tyre. No, you <laughs> bloody did it, didn't you? These tyres are perfect. 
So other than exploding tyres, we had the excitement of Hamilton winning. He led throughout the race. Yep. Followed by Rosberg. Eventually. Eventually. And uh, a bit of a, an exciting third place was Roman Grosjean. Bless him. Good for him. It was, it was, what, three years ago where he basically did his utmost to take out every single driver in the first corner of the race. And now he's on the podium for the first time in ages, even though Lotus are basically running on a shoestring and a bit of bubblegum. Uh, I thought he did very well. So let's move on to how the teams did. Hamilton won, despite being one of his weaker tracks. Oh, yeah. Oh. Do you know what? I'm sorry, I'm just having a little rant. I'm, I'm getting a bit annoyed with Hamilton because he is he's such a little goody-goody. And he's all like, oh, I, you know, I won and I'm, I am quite amazing. Hashtag blessed. Really, I, I'm sick of his humidity as well. Like, he has been lauded it up going on the internet being like a rock star <laughs> all those rock stars with their internet all those rock yeah <laughs> and he comes on and he goes oh you know and, oh it's so amazing that I've won it's like no you're the best driver in the best team now enjoy it well in, in fairness to him though he did, he did do very well he did he's brilliant he just he just drove away. he had a little bit of a moment at the end of the, at the middle of the uh, beginning at some point on the first lap Perez went could you be oh, more specific gonna, <laughs> yes at the end of the Kemmel straight on the first lap how's that ha <laughs> Perez sort of stuck his nose up because Hamilton made a bit of a balls up going through Eau Rouge and, and lost some speed and Perez stuck his nose in front and went, I'm going to get you and then didn't and then within about four corners Hamilton was 20 seconds down the road and stayed there really. So his teammate Rosberg, we all make out that he is quite pants, don't we? Well, we do. I wouldn't go that far. We're quite, we're not, I would. We're not well, that nice to Rosberg but he was only two seconds behind Hamilton so that is pretty impressive. Well, You've got to give him that. Yeah, well, you're forgetting that by the first or second corner, he was, what, down about sixth or something because he had a terrible start, which you're is something we should talk about probably at some point. Well, we should, but you're I, the one saying we're nice to him. He fought his way back. Oh, yeah, it's not he really. He didn't really fight his way back. Well, he fought his way back in his admittedly vastly superior It's like going, car. oh, God, that, that hot knife fought his way through the butter in that Mercedes. Hey, a hot knife just doesn't make its own way to the butter. It has to be wielded. So he well, had Honda's a hot knife is very cold. <laughs> and not a knife. It's just more butter. It's just a bit. <laughs> he had a poor start because of his overheating clutch. Oh, overheating well, by us. Overheating like clutch and lack of talent. Um, but Hamilton said he knew about that already, so... Yeah, being humble again. Like, in boxing, you get proper trash talk before a match. And there's this thing where, there's an interview I read where Hamilton's going, yeah, it's probably really, really sad for Nico that he's not doing as well as me, but I really hope he does better because, you know, it's really important for him... Because, you know, it means a lot to him, bless. We'll move on to Ferrari. So, as we've said earlier, Vettel's tyre disintegrated on lap 42. He strongly blames Pirelli. Um, however, he overdid the tyre. Nobody else tried to do on one. Yeah, I got a real thing. sense of what Sebastian Vettel was like as a child. When he's playing with a little toy car and he's bending the toy car and, the, and his mum's going, stop playing with that, it's going to break. If you bend that anymore, that's going to break. And he's going, no, it won't break because I'm Sebastian Vettel, I'm going to be a Formula One world champion. And then it breaks and Vettel goes, I'm furious with Peretti for breaking my thing. And then his mum goes, you, your dad wouldn't like you talking like that. And he's like, my dad isn't here anymore. Oh, Helmut Marco's my dad. I don't really know his family life. Pirelli has blamed Vettel's mum. I yeah. think what? that's right, isn't it? Yeah, she blamed, yeah, she blamed, blamed his mum. She's blamed his yeah. mum for not bringing him up right. <laughs> his brother looks after his toys. In other Ferrari news, of course, we've had the Kimi Raikkonen news that has happened this week. Oh, yeah. So Kimi Raikkonen has been re-signed by Ferrari. 
And how does he repay Ferrari? By finishing like ninth or something. By not being very good, as he has been all season. I think we'll talk more about that later. Well, let's move on to Williams. So both had really pants starts. Nothing, yep. nothing exciting. So what is happening to Williams? They keep saying that, oh, we have to stop making mistakes. This is the problem. And then they just keep making mistakes. I have never heard a team go on so much as Rob Smedley does with Williams saying to be more to be a to be a race winning outfit we're going to have to get our operations sorted and slow down our mistakes and the only mistake they seem to be making is talking about mistakes and not actually doing anything about them they put the wrong tyres on <laughs> that's the easiest thing if I was in charge of Formula 1 teams that would be the one bit I wouldn't fuck up that would be the one thing in a Formula 1 team that I would get right everything else I'd go wrong what penalty do they get for that again drive through penalty yeah and if you're a Formula One team that would like to put Terry's claim to the test, get in touch with us Definitely. and get him to change some tires on a car. I could run operations for Williams and they'd do better. I just say, go out there and bloody drive. And when you get in, we'll make sure we got the right tires for you. I mean, on the next pit stop, they went out and it had like a bike tire, <laughs> a biscuit tin, a donut. <laughs> And a, a, a Michelin tire from four Mars years ago. Mars bar, not even circular. <laughs> Bloody did, idiots. It did seem a bit of a, a weird weekend for Williams because we all thought they'd be quite quick because they got the Mercedes engine on a on a high speed track, and we thought, wow, surely they, you know they've been they've been hinting at brilliance all season. Maybe they're finally going to go right. And they just they just seem to have a weird setup on the car where they had no speed on the straights. On several times we saw the sight of a Williams getting overtaken by a Renault powered car which shouldn't really happen at all. Allowed. Yeah, that's not right. I don't quite understand how they've messed it up. And yeah, the whole tyre debacle. because and Williams' design philosophy is based on a very old-fashioned technique of every other year being shit. I'm not sure it's every other year. It was a, quite a long period in the middle of But uh, even, even in those middle periods, there'd be a year where they'd be like a little bit promising and then the year after they'd be shit. <laughs> and then suddenly Maldonado won a race. Oh, bless him. Let's go on to Red Bull. Nothing really happened. Well, they did all right, considering yeah. the engine they've got behind them on a high-speed track. I mean, Kvyat finished fourth. Ricardo was looking like a podium until his Renault engine uh, failed on him, and I can absolutely understand what that's like. Yeah. Let's get, we're all getting a bit bored of uh, moaning about engine problems, though, with Renault. I'm not. It's going to cost me a 1,000 quid to fix it. OK, let's move on to Lotus. Well done, Roman Grosjean. He did exceedingly well, firstly, not to crash into anyone, that's and good. secondly, to get to the podium. The night before, they had to have someone guarding the cars so that a bailiff couldn't come and take yes, it. Yes, and in doing so, apparently they broke the curfew on being at the garage. I don't, did they actually get a penalty for that? I don't know. I think they, I think they, did, they did, yeah. They got a penalty for something. I thought it was his gearbox or something, was wasn't it? I don't know. Roman Grosjean drove the best he's driven for years when he's got the bailiffs chasing him. <laughs> so I think they should use that as a tactic going forward. Maybe I this think, is deliberate. Yeah, at the next race, they should be like, uh, did you have a, a T-Mobile account in 1994? Because... <laughs> There's some people outside saying you own three grand. What? Fuck it up. He's just sitting there in his little room in the motorhome and there's somebody banging. Mr. Grosjean, Mr. Grosjean, we know you're in there. So let's move on to Toro Rosso. Well, actually, no, can we, can we backtrack a second? Uh, right. Maldonado, it was confirmed today that he broke down because he damaged his car by crashing. So he, really? he went over the car. He went over the curb so hard that he broke the clutch when the car bounced. Did he? I didn't that hear that. That's amazing. True. So let me get this straight. So Maldonado is now so advanced at crashing that he managed to crash without anybody knowing yeah. that he crashed. Exactly. That is absolutely brilliant. Stealth crashing. Was that on the impressive overtake? Yeah, I think he went over the curb, bounced back, and then just slowed down. Okay. So when, when when the car hit the ground, the clutch broke. Right. So because I, I know you and I see quite differently. 
um, on this on this overtake. But actually, maybe that is more in, more in favour of you. Yeah, I think no, I think he deserves everything he gets. Okay, so well, Verstappen, 17 years old, had an amazing drive. I thought he did the most risky overtake, which made me metaphorically, literally soil myself. And then he came in eighth. I just think it was a great move. Yeah, great. We could all do that kind of move if we had the right chance. You know, it's just, oh, whoopee-doo. Yeah, 16-year-old's got a great move. Yeah, whatever. We could all do that kind of move as long as there wasn't a white man man all right. in front of us. All right, mister, <laughs> I need a new engine because I don't know how to put oil in a car. He's rapidly becoming one of my favourite racers. I thought he was absolutely brilliant. I'm um, just jealous, all right? <laughs> <laughs> You, I mean, you're in your third driving lesson, you wait. For, for anyone in the, in the UK who might have seen on the, on the Saturday, the BBC had a feature on him uh, during his quality programme where they, they went and met him in his hometown and met all his karting mates and that kind of stuff. And he basically just, whenever he's not in an F1 weekend, he's down the kart track with his mates or he's coming home and he's playing racing games on his He's on his 17! Computer. Yeah, and That's uh, what he, you literally do. all he does is race. And uh, I thought he was absolutely brilliant. He did that amazing overtake around the outside of Blanchemont and Ericsson, which is like the fastest yeah, corner in the world. Uh, and then, then he was properly sideways at the end of the straight trying to get past Raikkonen, which was just brilliant. I thought he was, what a dude. I think he's brilliant. But is this a good role model for kids? Yes, that's how you should drive when you're seven. No, Someone wait, no, hang on a second. He does when do very 17, good interviews. Maybe you shouldn't drive like that. No, I don't, think it's, I don't think he's a good role model doing all this extra work. You know, it's like someone being in the army and then coming home and playing Call of Duty. He should spend some time with his family or maybe out with friends or kiss a girl or anything. It's just, he just seems to live in that Formula One car. Force India, Hulkenberg couldn't start and Perez came fifth. Perez had this thing when he was at McLaren saying, I'm going to be world champion this year. And everyone heard him and went, no, you're not, you idiot. And today he did genuinely well at qualifying and then said, I'm going to finish on the podium. And you're like, you're not. And all you're going to do is disappoint yourself. Perez, you should probably get a reality check, co. No. On uh, your ambitions. But Force India are now only one point behind Lotus, which I think is quite well, impressive. Lotus have got a massive handicap. <laughs> and debt. I, I, thought, I thought they looked pretty good, apart from, obviously, Hulkenberg's car not working. Perez, maybe a bit disappointing in the race, but it, I, I mean, he was, he was winning for, what, three metres of the race? And then, admittedly, went a little bit backwards, but still better than they've looked for a while. And we're talking about them, and we were going, ooh, ooh, look at them. That's good. Yeah. To say they're only one point behind Lotus is an unfair comparison it's damning with faint praise a little bit isn't it because it's like if you were if you were doing a kind of Sunday afternoon football game and you're like we're only one point behind Lotus in the league and then Lotus turn up and Lotus is just two men one of which is just farting a lot and making own goals all the time clearly coloured in their own strip <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> one of them's forgotten his kit and is just playing in his pants <laughs> what about Sauber Ericsson had a great race he came 10th and scored oh. a point I suppose one team always has to be the team that you don't notice the whole weekend. I, I noticed them, in fairness, but only when they were being overtaken by other people. OK, what about McLaren? They had a shit weekend. <laughs> well, finally, oh, after all this talk are. from Ron Dennis, he would say, right, summer break, oh, we're going to be back. And were they back? No. Honda, Honda's marketing people were actually saying we're going to be on par with Ferrari with our new engine upgrade. Well, in fairness, in qualifying, at least with Raikkonen, they were on par with Ferrari because he broke down and well, started in fairness, at the back. Right now, with all the cars in 
parked up in a lorry, they're on terms with Mercedes <laughs> in the fact they're going nowhere. They are having a terrible time of it at the moment. I mean, What honestly. I want to know is who is going to flip first, Button or Alonso, and when? Well, Button's, Button's already looking a bit shaky, he which is, is yeah. surprising because he's, you know, Captain Nice Guy. You know, well, he, he called the race embarrassing, which I think deviated from official policy yeah. at the end of the race. Although we did see, was it in the last race, Alonso called them a bunch of amateurs or something. Yeah. So there, there are cracks starting to show. But I, I, I saw an interview after a qualifying with, with Button, and he basically said, I thought I did an absolutely brilliant lap. I think it's one of the best laps I've ever done at Spa. And then I get in and I find I'm several seconds off the pace, and it's just a bit depressing. It's highly likely that it's Button's last year in Formula One. I think he's going to crack first. Because I think the pressure of going out on a whimper. Who, Button? Yeah. I think and he's, he's also been robbed, so. Yeah. So I think high. should we mention the fact that they did start at the back of the grid, but that wasn't entirely their own fault because they got a little penalty. How many places was it? 105. 105 combined grid place penalties, which I think means they start in Australia. Do they ever have to do that? Do they ever have to go back a few? Or, or is well, it they've, they've, they've actually changed the rules. Didn't they change the rules in the middle of the season they so they don't carry them over anymore? Because otherwise they just always start at the back for the next three seasons. They had to start like at Eau Rouge. <laughs> <laughs> Three laps down. <laughs> Can you just radio us when the lights are turned? Okay, what about Manor? Will Stevens started the year being the better of two Manor drivers. And basically, his only achievement in Formula One was being the not shit Manor driver. And now that's ruined. I mean, they've had some tough years since they've started in Formula One. But this year, it must be galling that they can't even catch McLaren. I mean, they must be looking at McLaren going, we should be able to. I mean, we've got last year's engine, but they basically haven't even got an engine. <laughs> They were 39 seconds behind McLaren. That's less than a lap, in fairness. So, overall, what do we think of the race, then? I thought it was a moderately entertaining race, made more interesting by the end. But uh, most of all, I think it was interesting that after the summer break, it's clear that Hamilton is still dominant and he's back and he's looking really good. Because after the last race where Mercedes had a bit of a nightmare and Hamilton made all sorts of mistakes, we were like, whoa, is he cracked? Is this the end of it? Is this, is this Ferrari's big comeback? To which the answer was no. Not at all. Uh, Mercedes still looks brilliant. Hamilton still looks brilliant. Rosberg looks a very distant second, both literally and sort of metaphorically. I would say, though, he's only just a race win ahead in the points. And all it's going to take is one race where his car conks out and it's going to be game on. And we've seen that happen before. But I still think, he, I mean, uh, Alan, I think it was Alan Munish was saying on the BBC coverage that he thought, Hamilton was looking and talking like a like a champion. Well, I look and talk like a champion, <laughs> but I haven't got a single win to my name. I can't even do a box jump. You can't even drive. <laughs> so now we move on to news. Phil, can you give us the headlines of what's been happening this week? It's been a busy month of no F1 racing, uh, but quite a few things have happened. Start a slightly serious note. Well, a very serious note, in fact. Former Minardi driver Justin Wilson, horrible incident, sort of reminiscent of, of the, the accident that killed Henry Surtees and the, the issue with Massa in the spring a few a few seasons ago. And I wonder if it's uh, it's time that we mention the possibility of closed cockpit F1 cars for the future, which is a an issue that's been banded around after similar incidents in the past. Lewis Hamilton relatively recently has come down and said that he, you know, he wouldn't be averse to it. He thinks it should be considered and, you know, he wouldn't necessarily rule it out. Does F1 have to be 
open cockpit. I don't really understand why it's so important for it to be open cockpit. Well, it's always been that way. Yeah, but a Formula One car looks very different now to what it did in 1950. It's the only real remaining danger in Formula One. Well, the the only glaring hole in safety is the fact that someone's head is sticking out of a fast-moving machine. Well, you, you do think back to all the recent incidents, the, the, the death of Jules Bianchi and the eventual death of Maria de Villotta, and, and you wonder, would that have happened if there'd been closed cockpit yeah. cars? So, I mean, you, you wouldn't have a problem with it then? Not really. I mean, visually or aesthetically, I've only got a problem in... If you look at older kind of 1980s, early 90s Formula 1 cars, the driver's head just feels like it's floating above the cockpit. It's so unprotected. They're still out there, aren't they? Yeah, yeah even back in the mid-90s, yeah. And the way, as a kid, I remember really recognising driver's helmets. It was a real thing. As you'd be watching it, you'd be recognising them. But I don't think that exists anymore because they're so contained anyway that I don't think helmets, and because advertising has gotten so much worse or better which, on your viewpoint... So I think that the helmets are a less identifying factor anyway, so I, I don't think it's an issue. I think they should just close the cockpits. Well, I, I'm, I'm not Brick entirely them sh- up. Yeah. Concrete them in. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure where I stand on this, to be honest. I don't think I have a strong opinion one way or the other. Would but it change anything? Well, there are, there, are, there are various sorts of people going, ooh, well, it may be more difficult to get them out of the cars if the car rolls over and stuff. But, I mean, you look at the WEC, where they, they've done this rule. The, the prototypes in, in World Endurance Championship no longer have open-top cars. And you look at some of the crashes that have happened recently in that, I'm thinking particularly of Alan Manish and Mike Rockefeller in, in Le Mans in 2012, where they had absolutely massive crashes, and you think if those cars were, were open, they'd be in all sorts of trouble. And then you look back again at IndyCar at, um, at Dan Weldon a few years ago. Yeah, yeah. His exposed head hit the concrete, and that was that. You do wonder if in the name of safety, maybe it's a debate that needs to to happen at a higher level than it is now, which just seems to be basically be in the media. And on another note, presumably a closed cockpit aerodynamically is a much easier car to design than a helmet that's buffering around all the place. Yeah, I think probably the drivers would like it. I seem to remember a few years ago, Adrian Newey did a sort of no-limits car for Gran Turismo. Uh, you know, if all the rules of F1 were, were taken away and we, we built something, what would it look like? And I seem to remember that had a closed cockpit. Yeah. And I, I mean, from a, from a point of view of reckoning, recognising the drivers... I mean, you could do the cockpits in different colours or, I mean, with the, the amount of cameras, small cameras you can do now, you could just put a load of them in there so you can still see the driver going What on. if they have a camera inside the helmet and they project the driver's face on the inside of the cockpit? Well, so you'll be able to see them going, shit! Well, so look, they look like one of the cars from Cars the Movie with just big eyes on the front of the oh cockpit. Oh my God, they could, do, they could totally do that. Have, like, cameras on each eye and have an eye on the front. Oh or my they, God. Or they, or they, they, they use lighting inside the helmets like they do in sort of aliens and films so it's shone in the, so you can see their faces through the visors. But, but seriously it would put less pressure on their necks though because they all have to like have loads of they well, no, still be, they'd still be all the g-forces would it yeah it doesn't the cockpits don't shut okay. out g-forces but there would be less buffeting there would be less like There'd be less wind buffeting uh, yes and having having once been in an f1 car i can attest to the fact that there is a ridiculously large well amount of i was in a car last week <laughs> and it was just when you had problems at radion yes and I had no problem with G-Force. <laughs> if we move on to the fact that we have just had a month off, a summer break. I mean, we haven't, but they have, you know. I had a week off. It was nice. <laughs> Apart from the count. car breaking down. Thanks, Renault. Hamilton went to Barbados. He smoked cigars. He twerked with Rihanna. And uh, we complained that drivers are boring. However, Rosberg is about to have a baby, um, so he's been absolutely no fun. Well, as far as we're aware, he wasn't twerking, Rosberg. We didn't, we didn't see any pictures of him and his heavily pregnant <laughs> wife. <laughs> 
twerking if you look, him, if you look at the picture cigars, of Lewis Hamilton, Rosberg's about two seconds away trying to twerk. I looked at that picture. I went, "Good lord, that's that's quite some partying he's doing." Um, but he's very I, humble. He's so humble about he it. He's so humble. I mean, it's a humble cigar. Just like he should be there going, "I'm shagging Rihanna." Probably, maybe. I don't know. I mean, hashtag blessed. I'm presuming they have done it because twerking leads to. Maybe he's a I humble lose. twerker. Yeah. Well, I mean, since he broke up with um, with Pussycat, whatever her name was. She's gone from strength to strength. Has she? With I, her Muller adverts. I haven't been following the uh, the world of uh, creamed rice. It does seem to be uh, going through the ladies somewhat at the moment. I, I thought he was going out with, ladies with a Kardashian a or something, man. wasn't he? Well, well I, will, I will bow to your opinion on that. Apart from this one. So moving on, we, we uh, mentioned this earlier, but now it is time for us to sort of let rip. Kimi is retained by Ferrari. Oh, my God. I actually genuinely was surprised at that. I didn't see that coming at all. I thought for sure he was going. Someone has fucked up. Well, from what I understand, from my incredible sources on TV, the uh, general story seems to be that Ferrari wanted Bottas. And there was that story in uh, Italian press that, yeah, they've definitely gone for Bottas and they've signed him and it's all happening. But then the, the, the rumour now seems to be that they didn't want to pay Williams a squillion quid to release him from his contract there. And so they thought, oh, might as well, I'm going to take Kimi. Because they, they had the option to retain him anyway under Kimi's current yep. contract. I think otherwise perhaps they would have once again had to pay him not to race or something. So let's um, imagine for a second being Valtteri Bottas, in the press being told you're going to go to Ferrari, probably having some meetings at some point with Ferrari, and then your team saying they're not going to pay us enough to get rid of you, so you're going to stay here. And then Bottas gets in the car and they put the wrong fucking tyres on. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it was entirely deliberate. Maybe it's just like, I'll teach you to go to Maranello, yeah. you fin. It's, it's the gangster equivalent of being like a cut on the face. You've been marked. It's basically, yeah. It's like One prime, three option. Cutting your little finger off as a member of the Yakuza yeah. or something. But have you seen yeah. but the interviews with Kimi Raikkonen? Is he so like, yeah, I'm staying in Ferrari. He should be bloody over the moon. Well, are you, you would think that Kimi Raikkonen would be over the moon, wouldn't you? You would think that he'd just be emoting... Left, right, and centre. I and disagree. I was staggered to find that he was as dull I, in interviews. As I think is. he's. I think he's really pissed off. I've done this before. How can you tell? Have you ever had a? Have you ever had a job where you don't want to quit, but it'd be really handy if you got fired? I have not had that. No. But it happened to me when I was about nineteen. I was working in Tesco's, but if I quit, I wouldn't get my benefits. <laughs> so I think that Kimmy might be signing on. <laughs> I think the problem is if he if he quits, he'll lose his benefits for three months. <laughs> So I think he's trying to get fired so uh, he can go and go to the Woodish Job Centre. To return to reality just for a second, I wonder what that then means. So Kimmy's going to be around next year. Unless he has a dramatic turnaround in talent, surely he's not going to be back again. Is he? Because I, 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 I would imagine that Ferrari will try and make another swoop for Bottas, unless Bottas suddenly becomes absolutely terrible. Uh, or there was talk... Um, there was talk uh, from the experts on telly again that maybe they might be interested in Verstappen and he's been had a few questions asked of him. I mean, he's obviously getting good according to some people, but... I think he'd be great at Ferrari. I, I think, think Vettel, Vettel would, would veto Verstappen. Oh, that's sounding good. I think Vettel would veto Verstappen. <laughs> yeah, then maybe he's got a clause in his contract where they can't have another driver whose surname begins with V. Jean-Éric Verne. Yeah, he won't be going. Jacques Villeneuve. Well, that, Gilles Villeneuve. Nigel Vansell. <laughs> Pretty sure Gilles Villeneuve's not going to be coming back. <laughs> I think he's got more chance than Jack, to be well, honest. maybe. Okay, so let's move on to the return of Renault. Phil, tell us about this. Yes, uh, rumour abounds that Renault wants to come back 
to being a factory team instead of a much maligned uh, engine manufacturer. They were quite happy when when they were winning world championship after after world championship. But let's be honest, they didn't really do much with those four championships that they won with Red Bull. They just sort of Red Bull took all the glory. Frankly, Infinity took half of the glory as the title sponsor of, of Red Bull, who were the same company as Renault. And it was all really weird the fact that they had the same company, but they were. The title of the team was one branch of the Renault-Nissan-Infinity alliance and the, the Renault was the engine supplier and it's all very weird. And now Red Bull is basically blaming them for everything. Um, and the suggestion is that they now want to get a team. Now, apparently they tried to buy Force India quite recently and were turned down. Quite why that was, I don't know, because I thought Vijay Malia desperately needed money, but apparently not that badly. Um, and Bernie Eccleston is now apparently very keen on getting them to buy the the Enstone team, who are currently Lotus and who used to be Renault back in the day. So, who knows what's going to happen there? The, the the speculation is that Renault has already been told by Red Bull that their services won't be required from 2017. So that would seem a good opportunity for them to go, well, oh, fuck you, Red Bull, we're going to have our own team and it's going to be brilliant. And as a slight aside for that, the rumour is that Red Bull may switch to Mercedes engines, according to Martin Brumble. Or the rebadged Aston Martin. Is that still I rumor? haven't actually heard anything else from that recently. Who knows? It's very strange. But if I may, that may lead me on to my state of Formula One for the week. Okay, so let's, uh, let's let Terry have his limelight. Tell yeah. us about the state of Formula One. Well, this week, I would like to carry on Phil's talk about Renault and talk about the history of a once great engine manufacturer who have turned into a fuck-knuckle shower of idiots. <laughs> now, form Renault have been in Formula One since 1902, even before 50 years before Formula One existed. Renault were in charge of all motor racing. And Renault were just great. I mean, I'm, Phil's looking angry because he's got a Renault engine that's just blown up. But Renault are a truly wonderful, wonderful place to be and work and are. And in the last 40 years, they've done everything to piss on their legacy to the point where I think I've got a solution. But I'll come to that later. Now, if Renault were to buy Force India, which is, you know, a possibility... Then well, now, apparently, but let's pretend it's a possibility. Okay, <laughs> I've written this based on the possibility. Then that would mean that Renault have been a manufacturer team three times, maybe even four times, with four totally different teams. And if we try to, now, I might need your help on this because we've got to try and unravel how many teams Renault have owned. So the current Lotus Mercedes was Renault. That was Renault before. I wish you'd told me about this before so I could have looked it up. No, no, we're going to try and work it out from our memories. Now, in the 70s, Alain Prost drove for Renault, but that was a different Renault. The current Mercedes team used to be Honda. That's irrelevant. That's irrelevant. <laughs> the old Renault were involved in the Crashgate saga, which was the thing that really... That, that was the Enstone team. That was the Enstone team. That was team. the same... That was the, yeah, the Crashgate PK shenanigans was the same team... The one world championships with Alonso. Yep. That was so Alonso's old team and he came back. And then they did Crashgate where they got Nelson Piquet Jr. to crash on purpose in Singapore, 2008. And that led to them going, maybe we won't do this anymore. Yeah, Renault ran away with their tail between their legs. They let Infinity take over the sponsorship of Red Bull for all those years to get the, to get the glory. And then Lotus 
We're a team that doesn't even exist anymore. Came back and bought the old Renault team with Lotus had two Lotus Renault teams at once. When yeah, you're, year. You're, you're, you're of course speaking about Lotus and not about Lotus. Yeah, Lotus Renault and Lotus yeah, Renault were two. two separate teams yeah. in the same year. This is ridiculous. And now Renault are back and they're powering Red Bull. And at the minute this year, Renault are just making every PR design. If it wasn't for McLaren Honda, Renault would be the absolute PR disaster of Formula One. And yet, yeah, I mean, you, you are right in that in the Honda have very kindly saved Renault from yeah. humiliation. And but yeah, I mean, essentially they went from being being a manufacturer team for quite a while, I mean, having great success for two world champions, and then being embroiled in the whole smack it into a wall saga and the Alonso disgrace after McLaren, did he, didn't he, who, who knows. And then they thought, balls to this, we'll just supply engines. And that went really well for a bit yeah. with Red Bull. But then, as we said before, they didn't really... I mean, whoever does their marketing should just get slaps because they didn't really do anything with it and they let Infinity hog most of the glory. And Infinity didn't even do anything. They just stuck their name on the side of the car. And now their engine's a bit crappy and it's looking incredibly bad for them. And, and in, in fairness to them, Red Bull, I think, should be chastised for being unbelievably unprofessional. I mean, at least with McLaren and Honda, McLaren are sort of, to an extent, going, you, we rise together, we fall together. Red Bull are just going, it's fault. But they've got a great motorsport heritage, not just in F1, but in all sorts of things. And it's right that they should be in F1. And I honestly wouldn't blame them for wanting a bit more control over things and having their own team back again. Because at the moment, they're just getting shat on and uh, through their own ineptitude, didn't get the credit they deserve for four world championships. So, yeah, I, I sort of agree with you that they've balls everything up of late and they're a team with a very good heritage and they should be back. It's okay, though. I've got a solution. So, Renault, they've flirted with buying the Lotus team back. They flirted with Force India. They've, they've kind of ignored Red Bull entirely and just gone, stop moaning about us, we don't give a shit. And now we don't know what's going to happen next year. They are saying what anyone wants to hear, which... Now, I've been following the Labour leadership election, and they're basically being Andy Burnham right now. And what they need to be is Jeremy Corbyn. Radically left-wing. Renault need to change their attitude and become more of a left-wing, classic French thing. And I think the way of doing this is using the role model of British Leyland. British Leyland was a nationalised car company that had unparalleled success, and you can't argue against that. Well, it depends how you define success, really. I mean, up yeah. until the point when they it made terrible cars you, and then I'm collapsed. glad you said that. It does depend how you define success. Now, I think that Britain should nationalise Renault. Get rid of the French connection. We should make Renault British. And then I can't think of a more British thing than a word that sounds like, like Farage. British. It's a, it's a foreign sounding word. Renault should be British. Bring it back in. It should be called Renault. <laughs> Renault. <laughs> So I can't really see any problems with that at all, Terry. I think you've, you've got it. Um, so going back to your, your uh, state of Formula 1 scale, where would you say we're at now? So I think this week, if you take the scale of the state of Formula 1 as being zero is Sepp Blatter and 10 is Tim Cook of Apple, I think Formula 1 is hovering on one of the Dragon's Den people. But which one? This is important. Which one? Um, that <laughs> Duncan Ballantyne. <Bad> <laughs>
So as we always do, we are going to have our predictions for the forthcoming race, which is the Italian Grand Prix. So firstly, what happened in Monza last year? Well, there was a Grand Prix. Good. That's all I remember. Okay, well, um, I had a, a little Google, and um, Hamilton got pole after a long, long time of doing badly in the races before. Oh, it was his resurgence. It was his renaissance. Exactly. And this is when people go, oh, he's back. And he ended up winning, followed by Rosberg, followed by Massa. Massa? That's not going to happen this year. Or is it? But what, what do you think will happen this year, Terry? I think that Hamilton won't finish this race. Why? Why is he not going to finish this race? Because... He's too busy giving way to other people, like, oh no, you deserve it. Oh, you mean like if he's on a on a Humboldt Humboldt sign? Now I haven't done a right turn yet. I've only done left turns. You're confusing Grand Prix racing with your own driving. No, I think Hamilton is going to have a heartbreaking engine failure on lap 14. Better than an engine breaking heart failure or an achy breaky heart. Uh, Monza then. It's a high speed track. A really high-speed track to the point where all the cars will have hardly any aero stuff on them at all because they just want to go pow. It's going to favour Mercedes. I wouldn't be at all surprised if it's not a million miles away from what we saw uh, this weekend uh, with Mercedes dominance. Well, I would agree because Monza is not a million miles away from Spa. No, it's only s- some miles away. Um, but in terms of the way that the, the, the cars will be suited to them, the, the, you want a good engine. And the Mercedes have got the best engine. And I would expect to see the two Mercedes run away with it and the other Mercedes teams behind them. Maldonado on the podium. I I think you could be right, but I think it's likely to be Maldonado on the podium halfway through the race after crashing on the straight, being flung into the air, (laughs) landing on the podium. I wouldn't be at all surprised to see the Lotus do well again. Williams, if they can sort themselves out and get the setup right, could potentially do very well. Hang on, hang on. You're just uh, saying everyone. Yeah. No, the Mercedes. I think the Mercedes Force India things. might be, and I reckon Cyrus has a chance. <laughs> if they've got a Mercedes engine, they should do well. Right. Of course. Wouldn't it be nice? Just to hedge my bets, Ferrari could do well because it's Italy. Wouldn't it be nice if all the other drivers came third? <laughs> like a school sports day, everybody yeah. gets a trophy. No one's last. Everyone's no, I'm, third. I'm, I'm, giving, I'm giving proper predictions here. Mercedes, Hamilton's going to win it. Rosberg's going to be second. Bottas is going to be third. Okay, Terry? No, he's not going to figure at all on the podium. I think I'm going to have trouble at a busy junction. I think that it will be Rosberg followed by Vettel and Maldonado. Bloody hell. Are you sure about that? Have you thought this through? Definitely. Okay. Okay, Chica, what do you think? think? Well, I think Rosberg is going to be a dad at that point, so he is going to be distracted. He's going to be really tired and covered in sick. Exactly. So, I think Hamilton, I think Rosberg might be out of it completely. I think it might be Hamilton, Vettel and Grosjean. Ooh. Hmm. And pole positions? Hamilton. Hamilton. Alonso. (laughs) Hamilton, sorry, (laughs) Hamilton. I've been to Monza. It's really cool. It's in the middle of a big park. And what's cool about it is that the original horrendously banked circuit is still there and you can walk through the woods and find it and go running up the banks. And I think it's a great shame that they don't still have the banked circuit as part of the modern track because it would be brilliant, although possibly unbelievably dangerous. Yep, I think it's, it's a shame. A, it's a classic. We uh, should have we bailed should have out the banks. If Ferrari don't do well, there will be disappointment. If Ferrari do do well, there will be jubilation on a scale seldom witnessed. So that's our predictions. We will be back in two weeks' time after the Italian Grand Prix. 
make sure you tell us how wrong we are by emailing us at wrong at ff1s.com or tweet us at for f1's sake we are going to be live tweeting we say almost we definitely maybe yep in the meantime my thanks to terry saunders we didn't have time to talk about uh, juan manuel fangio getting exhumed for a paternity case and phil tromans uh, we also didn't get a chance to talk about uh, Jensen Button being rather unfortunately gassed in his own home. And uh, I hope he, he has recovered well to drive his terrible car. And I'm Chico Ayers. My thanks to everyone for listening. Goodbye. Sports Social Podcast Network.